0: We can make promises, and we often do, but there are circumstances that often come into our lives that thwart our otherwise good promise. Factors are often introduced into our lives that make our promises impossible to fulfill, right? Now, we're considering the nature of this promise. I will. This is not the case with our Lord. He's not saying, I will unless factors are introduced in the history of mankind that I can't overcome. He's made him to be head over all things to the church. Remember that in Ephesians 1.22 or 3? That means there is a, a bullseye in divine providence. The entirety of creation was made by and sustained by God. But there is this unique sustaining and nurturing bullseye. And what is it? It's the church, Ephesians one twenty-two. So the promise is a declaration of what will take place no matter what things look like and no matter what opposition might take place. Though various efforts are made to place roadblocks for the building of the church, none will avail. So we can say this, ultimately, the building of the church is right on schedule. You know, if you watch the news, you can get derailed and think, oh, the church, what's going to happen to the church? (gasps) It's right on schedule. It might not be on our schedule, but this is the nature of this promise is an assured reality. It's not a up for grabs. Uh, Jesus goes out to start the truck on Tuesday and it doesn't start. Curses foiled again. There are uh, powers that seek to stop him, the gates of Hades, these kinds of powers, whether they be men, philosophies, political ideas, unjust laws, wars, heresies, and even apostasy, of the devil himself and all his cronies, none of that can stop Christ from building his church. You are listening to Sermon Select on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. There is mounting pressure being brought upon the church in these turbulent days As society moves on from the word of God and the law of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church seems to be faced with significant danger and difficulty in the years to come. But true Christians should not despair, but hold the line. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Richard Barcellus, pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church of Palmdale, California, encourages us to hold fast to this promise of Christ in the following sermon titled, I will build my church. Matthew sixteen, eighteen. There our Lord says, I will build my church. Unfortunately, many in our day despise the church of God. That's not new. Uh, some do it openly and purposefully, others do it out of ignorance some unbelievers and even some believers. Either way, many in our day despise the church. When we come to our Bibles, however, we are faced with clear facts about the identity and dignity of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read some passages that identify and dignify the church. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. I'll be coming back to this later as well. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, that is, the Father gave, gave the Son as head. Now, watch these words carefully over all things. All authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. To the church. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians three, twenty and twenty-one, similar testimony, shows the dignity, the uniqueness of the church. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. We could go to other passages. First Timothy 315, the church of the living God, the (laughs) pillar and support of the truth. There's something distinct and unique about the identity of the church, which gives it a dignity unlike any other institution on the earth. And I could multiply these statements, but these kinds of statements in scripture are reserved for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ and the church alone. And uh, our statement in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, is another one of those Uh, Statements in scripture, which highlights the uniqueness of the church in the outworking of God's purpose. Think about this. This is in the first century. This document that we're reading, we call the Gospel of Matthew, was written in the first century by the Apostle Matthew. It is a reflection upon the earthly ministry of our Lord. When it was written, uh, there's a big debate. Actually, the big debate is relatively short about when Matthew was written up until about 150 years ago, almost. Everyone believed it was written as the first gospel, and that's probably why it's the first gospel in the New Testament. But I think he wrote it relatively early, six, eight years, maybe after our Lord was gone. Matthew completed this. And uh, so in before our Lord ascends during his earthly ministry, he makes this statement. I will build my church. And you know your New Testament. Uh, the gospels give us. The, the 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 redeemer in his sufferings and glory acts is a divine commentary on the early history of what the apostles primarily peter and paul did with the gospel and the, the 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 responsibilities they were given the gospel goes to the jews and then to the greeks and the epistles are an implications of the sufferings and glory of christ For that young church, I will build my church. Well, there was no church, Jew, Gentiles in one body functioning uh, as a unit, as a body, as a local expression of this universal thing we call the church. Uh, There was nothing like that prior to uh, the first century. Not only do we see the importance of this statement being made, but we see the importance of this statement being upheld or the promise fulfilled by Christ himself. We can go outside the New Testament. We can ask the question, I will build my church. Did Jesus keep building his church when he left the earth? The answer is, we're here. We're a constituted church. Uh, How in the world did we pop up out of nowhere? Uh, Well, we didn't. And um, so this is an important statement. Now, what I want to do is I want to explain the statement, uh, I will build my church and then I want to contemplate it. And in our contemplation, uh, I think tonight I'll get to this. We will consider um, the opposition that comes to the church and has and will in various forms. It's a simple statement. I will build my church. It has a subject. I, of course, the speaker is our Lord Jesus Christ, who had just been confessed by Peter as the Christ Christ. Uh, the Son of the Living God, so this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the Pope, this is uh, uh, this is not methods and marketing strategies of men that's making that is promised here. It is a promise by Christ himself of the building of his own church, or as Peter says in matthew sixteen sixteen as I referenced before, this is the Christ the son of the living God. That's the eye of our text. He is both God and man in one unique person, two natures, the savior of sinners, the one who lived, died, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven for us and for our salvation. And from heaven, we are told he is now ruling the whole created realm from which that is heaven, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is the speaker. This is the I of this statement. I will build my church. It's no uh, uh, small uh, observation uh, that this is our Lord during his sufferings, his earthly life, making a statement that has massive implications. He he does this a lot, you know, but uh, if you think about this, Well, we're going to think about it later. Let's look at the action. We'll build. I will build. Now, this is a metaphor. Um, It is interesting to think of this. Uh, Could Jesus be uh, linking the fact that he was the son of a carpenter and probably worked with his hands and built things? Is he linking that with now his what's going to be his post ascension um, activity, the building of his church? He was a carpenter, and, it, and the fact that he was a builder doesn't stop after his sufferings uh, and entrance into glory It continues. Um, could be, but we know this much. Uh, it's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a metaphor for the construction of something. If we go to other parts of the New Testament, the church is called God's building. That is, God builds it, which is, by the way, interesting that's from 1 Corinthians 3. Interesting, Jesus says, I will build. And then when Paul's reflecting on this thing called the church, he calls it God's building. So do you think there is an uh, inference that we can draw here? If Paul says it's God's building and Christ says, I'm building it, we have to assign divinity somehow, some way mysteriously to our Lord. This is a huge statement. I will build my church. So if we follow the figure of building here, we could say that the cornerstone, Christ himself, the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20, the walls, the roof, and the finishing touches of it uh, or of a given structure will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be set in place, completed, and brought to perfection by Christ himself. The growth of the church ultimately owes its efficacy to not um, skinny-jean pastors, um, Not to dynamic programs for children, not to strategic market niche activity or thinking and implementation by groups of people, um, but by Christ himself. And so there's a book probably here on the counter, I think on the book table here. book table. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I know it's here. I'm not going to find it. I'll find it later. Uh, The subtitle is 20 Centuries of Christ's Power. The Banner of Truth published it. That's the way we should look at church history. 20 Centuries of Christ building his church. So the the subject is the incarnate son of God. The action is building. Temple. Temple. That's another metaphor, figure of speech for the church. Christ is a temple builder. You ever thought of it that way? Christ is a temple builder, and we are a teensy, teensy, weensy temple at, not a template, but a temple at. Connected to other temple at all throughout the world in various time zones, temple at churches, local churches, are meeting and gathering and doing similar things that we're doing. People that don't speak our language. People will never see on the face of this earth in its current condition. Uh, People in different continents, time zones, all over the place. It's very interesting, by the way, to consider all the time zones of the earth. Every Lord's Day, Jesus receives praise throughout every time zone. Some people have already worshiped. Some will worship. Matter of fact, I think New Zealand's in how they do this, how they jump into Monday and it's still Sunday morning here. I don't know how they do that. They're incredible. New Zealand and, and Australia and the other parts of uh, that time zone. But it's fascinating to think that here is this. Here are these little templets that are local and visible expressions of this universal temple, all the people of Christ. And they're being built up by Christ. Every Lord's Day, and no one can stop it. So he says, I will build my church. We could say the institution which is made up of his his people, the saved, those who have repented of their sins and believed that Christ will save them from present sin and future wrath, which is evidenced by their acting upon his word in obedience to him out of love for him. I hope that's why you're here. I'm obeying my Lord because I love him. You know, that that's why do you go to church? Well, the pastor will call me or text me if I don't. <laughs> right. You know, it's a joy when you're not going to make it. And I receive a text. Like I got from you last week. I mean, it wasn't a joy to hear you weren't going to come. But at least I knew, you know, uh, this coming to church because it is the Lord's will And I love him. That's our motive. Um, The church is his body, his temple, his building, the household of God. These are all used in scripture. The pillar and support of the truth. Here's what um, Matthew Henry, some of you probably have his his, uh, one volume commentary on the entirety of scripture. Matthew Henry didn't write the whole thing. Matter of fact, I don't know if anybody except John Gill has commented on every single word of Scripture, and has a has a commentary uh, for that. Everybody else, Matthew Poole died before he finished. Matthew Henry died before he finished. Um, that means I'm never. I'm not going to start. Because I'll die before I finish. Here's what Matthew Henry said. He's very helpful. The builder and maker of the church is Christ himself. The church is a temple which Christ is the builder of. The materials and workmanship are his. By the working of his spirit. With the preaching of his word, he adds souls to his church and so builds it up with living stones. That's from the 17th or possibly early 18th century there. He's right. Note also, I will build not just the church, but my church. That's important as well, especially historically. The church is the possession Of our Lord. He lived for it. He died for it. He was raised for it. He was ascended for it. He rules for it. And he will come again for it. The church is not the property of the elders. It's not the property of all the members. It's not the property of the state. Okay. It is not a human invention. It is a divine institution and its owner and possessor is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. My authority, small a in quotes, as a minister of the gospel is to minister, is to administer something, not my own thoughts, Um. But the thoughts of God as revealed to us in sacred scripture. I just, I'm a servant. I'm not a Lord. I'm not a master. Right, honey? (laughs) I'm a servant. I serve what the king would have me to serve. It is not my church, it's his. Now, what I'd like to do is kind of illustrate this statement, this promise by our Lord, "I will build my church from the New Testament or show you the things that Christ does in the building of his church. One thing he does he did on his during his earthly ministry, and he does now from heaven <coughs> by virtue of his divine nature and the sending of the spirit of christ he seeks and saves sinners luke 19:10 this um, luke 19:10 i know it's I, I, I know i have it memorized But now, now that I'm 48, almost 49, I tend to forget things. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I was lost and then I was found. That's what we sing. Why did John Newton say that? I was lost and I was found. Well, he was lost. He was a guilty sinner under the condemning sentence and wrath of God. Uh, He was in big trouble. And then he says, I was found. Who found him? Uh, If you're a believer, you were lost. And then you were found. Who found you? Uh, God. Yes. Did the Savior of sinner have anything to do with your being found? Yes. Does he still seek and save? Do people still... Hear his voice in that sense of uh, the spirit taking the word and making it effectual to our minds. And we we wake up to reality and we believe things that we didn't believe before. And we hang our soul's uh, well-being on those truths. Yes. Why? Because he seeks and saves sinners and he does it today. But he also gives eternal life to the elect of God. John 17 uh, verse 2, he seeks and saves sinners, and he gives eternal life. In verse 2, it says, Even as thou hast given authority over all mankind, has given him, the Son, authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, the Father has given him, given to the Sons and people, he may give eternal life. So this grant, this donation, this gift we call eternal life, it's given to us by Christ. How does he... Build his church. He seeks and saves sinners. He grants eternal life to them. He gathers people together, also into local churches. You can see this that, that it's happening in the Book of Acts, and and a lot of the epistles are actually the historical background to the epistles of uh, Paul and others. The historical backgrounds in the Book of Acts itself. If you read the Book of Acts, you'll see that um, early on in Acts two forty seven. Uh, people were added to the church. Now, it was a very unique time there at Pentecost when you had a city of about a quarter of a million people. I think I'm getting my numbers right. However large it was, it uh, used to double and triple three times a year. And this was an annual feast. And so people from all over, Jews from all over the ancient world would come there Uh and and stay uh, often in tents outside the city, sometimes within the city. Anyway, a bunch of them believed by virtue of God's blessing upon Peter's sermon uh, in Acts chapter 2, and they 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 repented of their sins and they were baptized and they were added to the number of the saints. And many of these most likely would have been ostracized um, by their own families who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But anyway, they had these local assemblies. You can trace it out. You'll see in Acts chapter 19, for instance, Paul is in Ephesus preaching there and a church was born. And then... Uh, about six or eight or ten years later however long it was forget my New Testament chronology he wrote a letter to them the epistle to the Ephesians you can see Paul in Thessalonica in in the book of Acts and then he wrote two letters to them and you can see Paul writing to Timothy when he was in Ephesus later on first Timothy and second Timothy you can see Paul writing to um another guy Titus in on an island called Crete so the gospels Going forth, churches are being born. I will build my church. He's sending gospel preaching laborers out. He is seeking lost sinners. He's finding them. I was lost, but now I'm found. And he's, he's giving them eternal life. He's gathering them into local churches and he's gifting these people to, um, to function as these local bodies. He also causes growth and development in these churches. Ephesians four, we saw that. And he loves, he cherishes, and he sanctifies the church. He's doing this from heaven through the means he has ordained, the spirit of Christ using the word of Christ as spoken by the messengers of Christ. He blesses these things and he cherishes, sanctifies, and cleanses. His church. So, according to Matthew sixteen eighteen and the corresponding testimony of the New Testament, Jesus Christ is currently in the business of building His church. How does He do? How does He do it? Uh, he does it from heaven through means seeking and saving the lost, granting them eternal life, pronouncing them forgiven, justified in the process of sanctification. As good as glorified because He's in glory, and so on and so forth. So, with that, um, we're going to contemplate this statement. And we're going to do it this morning under two headings. First is this. Uh, Take note of the nature of the promise. I will. Consider that. I will. Now, it's one thing for you or I to say I will. Uh, I will... um, I will meet you on Tuesday for Taco Tuesday. Okay, I will. It's a promise. It's Sunday. I'm promising to do something basically 48 hours later. 48 hours later, I go out to start up my truck. The battery is dead or something's wrong big time. I try to jump it. It doesn't happen. I will when I promise something like that has some contingencies connected to it that should cause us to say, I will if the Lord wills. You know, that's some Christians use that. Lord willing, I'll see you next week. That's a good thing. That acknowledges the sovereignty of God and the the, uh, providential care of God. We can make promises, and we often do, but there are circumstances that often come into our lives that thwart our otherwise good promise. Factors are often introduced into our lives that make our promises impossible to fulfill, right? Now, we're considering the nature of this promise. I will. This is not the case with our Lord. He's not saying, I will, unless factors are introduced in the history of mankind that I can't overcome. He's made him to be head over all things to the church. Remember that in Ephesians 1, 22 or 3? That means there is a, a bullseye in divine providence. The entirety of creation was made by and sustained by God. But there is this unique sustaining and nurturing bullseye. And what is it? It's the church. Ephesians 122. So the promise is a declaration of what will take place, no matter what things look like, and no matter what opposition might take place. Though various efforts are made to place roadblocks for the building of the church, none will avail. And we're going to look at this tonight, the mechanisms used to derail the building of the church. So we could say this, ultimately, the building of the church is right on schedule. You know, if you watch the news, which you probably should, but don't watch it too much. You you, you can get derailed and think, oh, the church, what's going to happen to the church? It's right on schedule. It might not be on our schedule. I know my schedule would be a lot different. By the way, my schedule would not have our church to have 5,000 people and all that stuff. Two hundred and fifty, three hundred at the max i think then you you gotta go plant but we're not on that schedule yet maybe we are we don't know god knows um but this is the nature of this promise is an assured reality it's not a up for grabs uh jesus goes out to start the truck on tuesday and it doesn't start curses foiled again <laughs> Texts us i can't make it can't build a church this week Factors came in to uh this providential unfolding of the divine decree that I didn't foresee. I didn't know it happened. And I've been derailed. I gotta re-energize myself and rethink through some things. And that, that that's that's us, okay? That's not God. So another item of contemplation here. Is this. We can say this. I've already said it. I'm going to say it again in different words. Nothing can can, and nothing will stop Jesus Christ from building his church. Now, he acknowledges that there are uh, powers that exist that seek to stop him. The gates of Hades. But he doesn't acknowledge that. These kinds of powers, which we'll look at this evening, whether they be men, philosophies, political ideas, unjust laws, wars, heresies, and even apostasy, the devil himself and all his cronies. None of that can stop Christ from building his church. Now, some of you know church history well enough where at times it started to kind of look like maybe the church was done. Or there's no church on the earth. It's hard to see real believers at times. Um, that doesn't mean there's no church on the earth. Matter of fact, we, we're we going to sing this hymn when I'm finished. Um, 270 says, though with a scornful wonder, men see her sore oppressed. By schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. This is all true. Yet. Saints, their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. The church shall never perish, we sing, her dear Lord to defend. How do we know the church shall never perish? Her dear Lord to defend. I will build my church. To guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end this is a this is these are wonderful words, though there be those that hate her, and false sons in her pale against a foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail, so we could say this: this building of the church by Christ is an assured activity, nothing. Is going to stop it. No one. Is going to stop it. Neither schism. Nor heresy. Can thwart. The activity of our Lord. If we stand back. And look at the long history. Of the church on earth. What do you see? Schism. Heresy. Apostasy. You see all that stuff. But one thing. We never see. If we look at the long history. Of Christ's church. And we'll never see is the church as a relic of the past. There are powers and ideologies in our day that would have the church, as we now know it, to be a relic of the past. They want to determine and dictate what we can and can't believe and what I can and can't preach or who we have to hire as staff members. if and when the time comes when we have to wrestle through all that and fight against it, so be it. But it's never going to happen that the church, as Christ intended here, will be a relic of the past. Our Lord defends his church. Our Lord guides his church. Our Lord sustains his church. He nourishes and cherishes his church divine providence that is the continuing power of god in sustaining of the universe has a peculiar and cherished focus to it here's here's the words of paul again in ephesians 1:22 and 23 and he put all things in the context all things here are all created things and he put all things in subjection under his feet That means any resistance is overcome ultimately by him the way he wants to overcome it. He put all things, all created things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. He's got a ecclesiastical headship. He's the head of the church, but he's got a universal headship over all things as well. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and all. Here's the way uh, John Owen put it. The whole course of affairs in the world is steered by providence in reference to the good of the church. Nothing can, nothing has and nothing will thwart this building of the church it is i think fascinating to think you know going out from our little niche here think about divine providence by the way we can't think too hard about it without our brains exploding it's incomprehensible god is uh, not containable by the finite mind but we can think about divine providence power being executed every moment every second i think i talked about this a little last thursday night every moment every second uh upon all created things makes us sustains us and mysteriously moves us uh sustaining secondary causes our own wills during the whole time he he sustains everything without divine providence things Disintegrate. Okay. It's, we're not deists. God made, put put these natural laws in place, doesn't tinker with it. And then sometime in the future, they'll come and tinker with it. God tinkers with his creation. God sustains his creation. But Owen's quote is reflective of Paul's meaning here. There is this unique steering of providence in reference to the good of the church. This is a this is an article of faith. I will build my church that we have to uh, nurture our souls upon and think through. Um, I will build your family. Is that ever promised in Scripture? Nope. I will build your country. No, America's not the church. Uh, even though some of the founders were well-intended men they called our uh, america a city set on a hill they used churchly language for an earthly nation god does that with ancient israel <laughs> as a type of not an earthly nation but a spiritual nation that the kingdom of god has now been given to the church providence is universal But Providence has this um, particular reference to the well-being of Christ's church. So on a very practical level, when the world seems to be going mad and tensions, you can see it on Twitter and Facebook. Tensions seem to be rising among brothers and sisters over all these cultural issues and political stuff and all that's going on there. People have different opinions. Okay, doesn't make them heretics. It makes everybody that has an opinion other than mine wrong, but I'll I'll live with that. Um, You can see the tensions rising. One thing that shouldn't or should always be Uh, A refuge for us is the church. If there's any place we can go in a a public gathering, it should be the church to get sanity back among ourselves, to not have tensions within our relationships, but to nurture those relationships and to thereby grow. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.16. There is this peculiar uh, providential um, execution of divine power aimed at the well-being, the nurturing, the cherishing of the church. The church is the apple of the divine eye. Metaphors, figures of speech is their creaturely language. So we can try to understand a little about the execution of divine power. God is in the business of creating, sustaining, maintaining, nourishing, grow, growing, and cherishing his church. And nobody will stop him. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to think upon these words, I will build my church. To recognize that um, you seek and save the lost. You grant eternal life. You cleanse the foul sinners Like us, you wash us, you sustain us, you, in your providence, move us into various local churches, and thereby would have us to grow and to be nurtured and to be strengthened. Strengthen us. Help us to love our Lord more in light of his goodness toward us and building us as a local body. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.